they shit on our land. They shit on it. They come out here and shit in the street in their cowboy costumes, and they litter everywhere. They take a picture of themselves in front of a Joshua tree and post it on Instagram with a whole description saying, Wow, I feel so in touch with nature. The desert is so cleansing. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Everyone is Cancelled, episode 20. Today I have with me Mr. John Morgan. Hey, happy to be here. What's going on, my good sir? And uh, Mary Visser. Yeehaw! Mary Kate. I've been playing, I have to admit, it's been a guilty pleasure of mine for a while. I like to relax in some video games every once in a while, and Red Dead Redemption 2 online has totally consumed my life. <laughs> <laughs> you find me in my free time, I'm on that game. It's, uh, it's good. It's totally immersive, and it's got my mind sort of cranking its gears on really what it was like during the Pioneer days. And if you don't know what that game is, you're basically just a cowboy in 1899, uh, witnessing the transition from the Pioneer days to, you know, the advent of electricity and streets being paved and civilization as we more know it now, in a way. And it, it's got a lot of us asking, what are the pros and cons of the pioneer days and society now. So before we get into that, we have a couple of cancellations. I'd maybe a few to get into. Uh, the first cancellation, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna leave to John. John, would you like to start this off? Um, it's interesting uh, with the uh, the combination of the pandemic and uh, third party. Um, you know, pirating software uh, has led to the utter destruction of movie theaters. And so now celebrities are basically begging the general population to get back to the theater because um, as much as they love to push uh, social socialist issues, uh, you know, it doesn't pay them. They don't pay the bills. <laughs> they still need capitalism to make their money. I was just thinking maybe those actors should instead look for jobs with streaming services that probably pay just as well. And everybody can watch a movie from the comfort of their own home. It's funny you say that because there's been a, a, a really huge rise in streaming pr uh, produced movies. So Netflix has their originals. Uh, Prime has their originals. Hulu has their originals, uh, and they're all, these are some big ticket items, movies, productions, and yeah. a lot of them are, are really good, you know? They are. Nobody wants to go back to movie theaters smelling other people's farts. <laughs> I don't want to hear that nuthead in front of me crinkling his candy for two hours straight. Like, who buys enough candy to fucking have rappers the the noise of rappers for the entire two hours of movies. And there's always somebody who does that. They piss their pants in the movie theater. They shit all over everybody's popcorn. Who wants to do that? And I also love how these, these actors who have been preaching communism for two years straight, almost, rely secretly on capitalism to pay the bills and ask people to use capitalism to go to the, 
to the movie theaters to pay their bills, but they want to preach to us normal people, uh, us underlings, that we should not be as they are. We should have communist ideals, which serves them, but they, it's okay for them to be capitalistic and, and tell us to spend the little money we have after losing all our jobs during the pandemic. Right. To cushion their millions of dollars. I hear a lot of these people are in their last hundred million at this point. It's sad. <laughs> it's a sad thing. I don't. I don't want to paint with a sweeping brush either, though, because um, there are a lot of actors out there who understand, uh, you know, how life actually works. Um, Chris Pratt actually said, uh, you know, for people who like to complain and moan about America, your right to free expression is paid for in blood. And this was in reference to uh, to Monday. You know when when we celebrate. I like Chris and, Pratt. Yeah, he's a pretty he's a pretty well rounded dude. He's a good dude. Yeah, you know, and you know Memorial Day being the day where we, you know, just take a moment just to reflect on, you know, all the military members that lost their lives uh, in active duty, um, doing you know what they were, what they were asked to do, mm. and uh, and you know and doing it courageously. So, uh, yeah. That'll move us to our next cancellation, and that is the cancellation of using the death of others to insert your politics. I was disgusted um, this Memorial Day because I saw that a lot of these, uh, I, I just have to call it as it is, a, a lot of these people uh, that, I, that I follow or you know come across on social media we're using this holiday to push their politics mm. totally and not in a respectful way, but totally disrespecting the fallen. And I just want to take a chance to put it in perspective. You know, there are people that died and I don't think people think about this. There are people that died. Uh, they gave up their freedoms. They lived in hellish environments for months, maybe years um, without the comfort of their dog or their family, you know, the things they love most in this world. And they lost all of that. After living in these horrible environments, it comes to an end where some of them didn't come back. They didn't even get to say goodbye. And Memorial Day is to remember that. It's to put that into perspective. So, yes, barbecuing, having a good time, uh, it is is making the most of your life. You know, they they die for us so that we can do that, so we can enjoy our lives. But it it is important to remember exactly what they went through right and appreciate that and it is not the time to insert your politics from your safe little cushioned house using their sacrifice and manipulating it it's just not that's not in good taste yeah. so yeah and that's certainly canceled or, or calloused indifference too you know our our uh, vice president tweeted enjoy the long weekend you know with no mention of of the sacrifice that was being memorialized. Which seems in in and of itself like a direct insult. It's just, I think it's uh, not well but thought. That, wasn't, well that thought doesn't out. seem to be on accident. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't. I mean, I could go either way on it. You know, but I, you know, based on, on her character to date, I would have to say that uh, it was calloused indifference on her part. It is what it is. I personally, uh, I love my brothers and sisters that you know sacrifice, and it's not just their lives. I mean, these these men and women uh, 
give up you know, family time, personal time, convenience, uh, you know, stability, all, all the things associated that people tend to forget with a military life, you know, the, the nomadic military life. If yeah. you could see some of these environments, you can look it up on Google, Afghanistan, Iraq, World War II, Iwo Jima. Right. Uh, the Korean War, Vietnam. These are places, they were the last places in the entire world anyone would want to be. Right. Much less as a combatant. Look at how they had to sleep at night. Look at the food that they were eating. Yeah. You know, relying on a few hours of sleep three days straight. Right. Yeah. A good reference point is a lot of people are familiar with uh, Band of Brothers produced by HBO. Uh, but not. Incredible show. It, you, if you haven't seen it, you have to you have to watch it. Uh, but not a lot of people are familiar with uh, the Pacific, which is you know the Pacific theater version of a Band of Brothers, and that really showcases mm. the the atrocious conditions not only that they dealt with in the field and on the front lines, but in the in the places they went to, the environments that they fought in were unimaginable right no and i think people need to separate listen i understand i I do even if it's opposing my view i understand you know if you if you really don't agree with our politicians because i sure don't uh, memorial day has nothing to do with their decisions you know i think people haven't really separated that it's not about the politics of it it's about lives that were lost and sacrifices and that's what the day is for it's it's really not about the decisions that went into them being there. Right. That's correct. Anyways, we thank you for your service, and uh, it's important. Yep. Absolutely. So I have a personal cancellation I wanted to touch on. Um, really, this is a light episode. I thought I wanted to touch on Memorial Day, and I think that's important. The rest of this episode is light because uh, this game I've been playing is really – like I said, it's gotten my gears cranking, man. I, <laughs> I, man, life has changed so much from those days. Th- this true. game is so immersive. That people see it as the, the greatest game developed to this day, a vast m- majority of people. Like, no joke, dude, when I'm riding my horse and it gets cold, his balls will shrink because <laughs> it's cold. That's how much detail is in this game. <laughs> I mean, uh. It's like real life. It's the closest emulation to a real life game I've seen. I can't tell you all the details that go into it. And the reason I know about the horses, I saw a meme on it and it just cracked me up. So picture that amount of detail in everything. And so you're immersed in this world of 1899. And it really got me thinking, man, we have canceled nature itself. Like John Muir. Look, if you don't know who he is, look him up. Mary's going to touch on him later. She schooled me earlier on what... Uh, sort of his ideals were, he really was a trendsetter, but he appreciated nature in a time that it was uh, sort of feared. And we've totally demolished nature as a civilization. Yes, we have a lot of commodities like antibiotics, right? Life-saving drugs. Um, But we also have a lot of things that weren't around then that causes harm, like smog and an indifference to an indifference to, to what's around us because what's around us is like city. A lot of us are, live in cities. We have cars around us all day. Um, whereas back in the day, you know, you were surrounded by nature. You had time to really ponder your own thoughts, think for yourself. You weren't constantly surrounded by a TV telling you what to think. 
or your friends on social media telling you what was right and wrong. You just had time to sit in quiet and think. And so that's what this episode is going to be about. What are the differences between then and now? And there's a lot of cons. There were, that was full of death back in 1899, and there was a lot of problems. But there's a lot of things that were, uh, you could argue, that were better than. There was a better quality of life right. in some aspects, in my opinion, than there are now. And that's what we're going to be getting into. So, I don't know, Mary, did you want to jump in here and speak on that a little bit? I don't know. I think it's all kind of fantasy. <laughs> there is a lot of that. I think we should go into that knowing that. There's there's people who are nostalgic and they have this idealistic right. fantasy of what was going on back then, but there was also a lot of good. Yeah. I think it's both. I just came back from the dentist today and I was reflecting on pioneer days and how if I had a toothache back then, I would go to the barber shop and he would have ripped it out of my face with no painkillers, just some whiskey. <laughs> that sounds fun to me. That's that's how we handle our teeth out here in the desert. It's still that way. We have to catch up to the times. I have no teeth left. <laughs> oh, you young whippersnapper. Get off my prairie. And uh, doing a load of laundry is sure of a lot. Sure, a hell of a lot easier now. <laughs> no, just don't watch your clothes or just be naked like me. I am constantly naked out here in this desert and they would, all the time. They would drench themselves in perfume. You yeah. smell people's perfume probably from <laughs> 10 feet away. They had birth control though, right? Uh, <laughs> <no>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so you've been speaking so much about Red Dead Redemption. That's like definitely the fantasy version of no, the it's not. Days. You know how many people I kill on that game? That's not their fantasy version. Somebody killed my horse today, so I found him running away in the hills on his horse because he thought I was away from my controller, and I chased him down. <laughs> well, there's got to be consequences in a simulation for it to be stimulating, you know. He wasn't in his fantasy at that moment. No, I'm I'm, ser- I'm serious. That's that's, that's the ramification. <laughs> I gladly so paid whatever it. it would cost. Yeah, yeah. You kill my horse, I'm gonna follow yeah. you across the pioneer lands. He owes me five hundred bitcoin. You're yellow. <laughs> well, the uh, the Wild West or the Old West is is actually historically referred to as the American Frontier Movement, and it, it started. Yeah, it started in. As in the yeah. early 1600s and ran until about 1912, which is when uh, uh, the last few states were getting uh, their boundaries set and being, you know, adopted into uh, the Union. Um, and it was this era, this migration era um, was even pushed. Right. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. Um, the expansion into the West and it was pushed by people like uh uh, President Thomas Jefferson, um, following the Louisiana Purchase, and and it gave rise to uh, maybe I mean and this is a maybe or maybe not a good topic of discussion the uh, the manifest destiny <clears throat> excuse me the manifest destiny um, which has been seen as both positive and negative um, but either way. And why is that, John? Can you touch on that just quickly? Yeah, well, there, Manifest Destiny had uh, three main 
um, value. It was it was based on uh, American values um, and perhaps the most arguably uh, difficult to nail down and define was the the destiny part, which uh, was much more of a a religious destiny. Um, Like it was ordained that the the established East, that agrarian culture, uh, which is another part of this, would be, you know, what developed the West. So the the agrarian success in the East is what was going to develop the West, and it was ordained by God that this was to happen. Um, It was the Protestant work ethic that encouraged everybody to make use of the land and produce and and work really hard that that was thrown in the mix too yeah mary coming in with her history degree from one of them fancy schools (laughs) (laughs) yeah unfortunately this idea of manifest destiny was also used uh to push the mexican-american war um and then the division of territory before states also the the gladsden purchase um, and and many of these uh, Indian wars uh, throughout the, mm-hmm. you know, the the history of the West. Yeah, there's a lot of tragedy in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and it was this this idea of well, God ordained it, so um, whatever happens must be good, right? <laughs> and uh, which is a com- an entirely uh, inaccurate and misuse of uh, of godly work. Um, yeah, hundred percent. But that's you know that's that's kind of what happens, especially when you're faced with what is going to be a difficult uh, expansion, but also a very productive expansion. Um, it was the gold rush of California was one of the things that happened, but there were gold rushes that happened before that. It wasn't the first one, and so you know we start to see we start to see events in history take place. Uh, on a massive scale where instead of prosperity, we start to see um, much more greed. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of where, you know, the debate is whether or not manifest destiny was good or bad. You know, it did lead to expansion in the West and the development of the, of the Western states and boundaries and, and the, you know, basically the foundation of how we see the United States now uh, it was also marked with periods of of tragedy and uh, malice. Um, a lot of you know what you experience in Red Dead is what was happening in the Western expansion. Uh, there was you know because people were spread out because they were given uh, plots of land to go settle. Uh, there there was not the infrastructure uh, that was that was had in the East. And so, you know, getting people supplies and, you know, getting uh, law enforcement and systems of justice out to these remote places was very difficult. And and oftentimes people were left to defend themselves. And so this is where you start to to see the the Wild West being romanticized, where, you know, you have these, you know, these uh, cowboys you know, judicating on behalf of the common people. Uh, so, you know, a lot of 50s TV shows, um, you know, kind of uh, illu- tried to illustrate this romantic idea of what, you know, what a 
cowboy was like in the wild west you know always like a very sanitized version too even the the violent western movies made in like the 60s that was still very sanitized oh yeah i grew up watching the original lone ranger and i knew right there that i was going to be a space cowboy (laughs) i was going to be a space cowboy killing martians that attacked our planet It, it that was my manifest harrison ford and daniel craig did that though yeah, they took they took my job. So there you go Hollywood tromping on the dreams. Thanks of, Hollywood. Yeah, right. Tromping on the dreams of the common man. But then I moved to the desert and I, I became a desert cowboy. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh man, I got I got so many things I want to touch on. But before <laughs> we leave the manifest destiny topic, I wanted to bring up because Dylan earlier brought up John Muir, who is this uh, very. He's a very famous photographer. He would um, take photographs of all, like, the national parks. And um, he was part of this, like, romanticized movement of nature where the perspective of back then when he was taking these photographs and before, like, 1899, like, when Red Dead Redemption came out, the idea of nature was terrifying and it was always portrayed in art as just being dark and scary and mysterious and we just didn't have the technology to really protect ourselves from it except in our communities. Like if you roam out in nature nowadays, we got plenty of technology to protect you while you're out there. But back in the day, it was scary. We didn't have the science. We didn't understand it. So it was a terrifying thing for people back then. And once technology started booming with the Industrial Revolution and people were crammed in these dark, polluted cities, then that's when the whole perspective of nature kind of shifted. And before I go further into history or more towards the present, I wanted to talk about this very important painting that really illustrates what Manifest Destiny meant to Americans in that time. And it's a painting called American Progress. Mm. Is that the one with the angel? Yeah, it's like this white woman angel flying across the sky. And in front of her is this dark forest with clouds and lightning and wild animals and Indians running away. While behind her, she's bringing in uh, families in covered wagons with farmland and nice little prairie homes so that like gives you an insight into the psychology of how average people felt about the the progress of american culture over the west they used to think that you know indians were wild savages and that nature was wild and savage as well now uh, fast forward to 2021, we all we do is romanticize nature pretty much. We have all these reality TV shows of people surviving out in nature, toughing it out with their high-tech technology, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's interesting, like, if you think of it in that perspective, you get a different idea of, like, oh, the Wild West, all nice and romanticized, like... I wish I grew up back then when things were simpler. And it's like, well, do you really, though? If you get a bladder infection, you are in pain until you die. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a horrible death or like a, uh, like a bladder stone, kidney stone, whatever. I have a, a quick question on that, and this is serious. 
This whole show is alleged, but this is a serious question. Why would you not want to die from a bladder infection? <laughs> that sounds peaceful to me, fun, and full of pleasure. Uh, or getting attacked by wild wolves in your backyard while you're hanging up your laundry. How about just straight up getting <laughs> scalped? That sounds like a vacation to me. Uh, it, I don't know what else you could want out of life. I can tell you one thing uh, in all seriousness. We have people coming out here. There's a lot of Airbnbs out here. So we have people coming out here from L.A. doing this thing called LARPing. And uh, Mar- what is LARPing real quick, Mary? So a lot of people from these city folk like to come out to Joshua Tree and do some live action role playing of cowboys. They <laughs> yeah! get in their cowboy hats and their cowboy boots and they they spend their two days out here dressed as a hipster cowboy. Westworld. Drinking margaritas. <laughs> yeah. They, sh- they shit on our land. <laughs> they shit on it. They come out here and shit in the street in their cowboy costumes and they litter everywhere. They take a picture of themselves in front of a Joshua tree and post it on Instagram with a whole description saying, wow, I feel so in touch with nature. The desert is so cleansing. These fuckers will be driving and it's all highways out here. Okay. It's all highways. These fuckers, we've been driving around a curve before and they're standing in the middle of the road like a really smart person. Highway speeds right around a corner when you can't see them standing in the middle of the road in their cowboy costume, sometimes naked. That's been documented. <laughs> Doing a photo shoot. And then when you have to slam on your brakes and ruin your brake pads to save their life, they look at you like, what the fuck are you doing on the road, you stupid hick? Go back to your little shack and let us shit in your roads. Let us shit in your roads. Turn around. You guys, are we're really proud of you. Yeah, they're building a bunch of glamping resorts, too, which is like another romanticized version of nature. Like, nobody wants to actually deal with nature. They want to be in a sanitized environment where everything is clean and crisp and done. All the work is done for them. And then they want to talk about how awesome their experience in nature was while they were in Joshua Tree for the weekend. Basically, the locals are hired for a dollar a day. To come into this area and shovel their shit like dogs and will it out into their own yards. That's what glamping is. It's a booming business. We shovel your shit for you so you don't have to. And they liked it so much that they're coming back and buying up all the land and all the properties. So now none of the locals can afford to even live out here anymore. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's nature. <laughs> nature is healing. It's manifest destiny. Did you know that um, that Texas had a U.S. Camel Corps? I like the sound of this already, my friend. <laughs> Just this is probably this has got to be one of the weirdest things I've ever uh, researched. In in 1856 at Camp Verde, Texas, um, they reasoned that that because the Southwest was so arid. Uh, much like the deserts of Egypt, right, where there's lots of camels, that uh, that they could have, you know, they could, you know, success use su- with great success camels instead of horses. So they imported 66 camels uh, from the from the Middle East, and as you can imagine, uh, because of you know the the camels' excellent disposition, uh, they're 
camels are prone to spitting and like and throwing up and and being generally <laughs> defiant to any order given to it. Um, Nature is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I remember this video of a camel literally picking this guy up and throwing him like twenty feet. Yeah, they're they're not uh, really a domesticatable animal. I will say, I'm pretty sure that guy deserved it. I don't know his story, but I think he liked being thrown yeah. and seeing his life flash before his eyes. Camels are a lot like cats in that way. I think that's a good comparison. Yeah. Um, anyway, they'll spit in your face and look you right in the yeah, eye exactly. and say, "What?" <laughs> What are you going to do about it? <laughs> bap, bap. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> and the minute you're about to react, they'll spit in your face again. That's right. They'll scratch you. They'll, put, like, they'll scratch your retina and then, and then purr because they want you to feed them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, th- this experiment they was deemed as, was successful. They deemed it a success. Um, and then as the, the Civil War broke out, and the the you know exploration into the frontier was kind of cut off. Uh, they were a little distracted with this massive war. All these camels got either sold off or let go. So so for a while, there were feral camels in the desert, in you know out in the southwest United States. I feel like it's still the same. There's probably a bunch of feral camels still. No, the last reported Texas. sighting of a feral camel. <laughs> was uh in, in at least in texas was 1941 so presumably yeah. there's no lingering you know descendants of the camel corps members texas <laughs> did what texas does and they ate them they ate the camels camel bite they shot them and they ate them and turned their fur into hats and this should be violently celebrated yeah. it should be wildly celebrated it's one of my favorite scenes in Conan the Barbarian, when they walk into town and he's, you know, Conan is inebriated and he walks up to this camel and it spits on him and he punches it in the side of the head and knocks it out. (laughs) That was Texas. That was Texas. Actual footage of Texas. I think it was the noise that the camel made that uh, was the funniest. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing about Camel Corps makes me um, makes me think, why didn't they use camels for like a Camel Express? Like instead of the Pony Express back in the pioneer days, they should have been using camels. Um, camels are pretty fast, uh, but they're not as fast as a, as a horse. Well, the Camel maybe... Express. I think we should replace the USPS, the United States Postal Office, with a Camel Express. I mean, it sounds totally legitimate. I'll invest money in that. The U- United States Postal Office, nobody gives them funding, so replace them with cam- camels. That's all I'm saying. Replace them with, like, four camels to cover the entire United States. Yeah. I, I think that is smart. I think that's the way we should be going in this country. And I think if we did that, it would be best following the trends of the last year. Yeah. As far as making sense goes. It. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree that uh, I I will not be satisfied until I own something that spits in my face every day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a certain respect with that. You don't you don't fuck with something that'll spit you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) That shit stores water in a hump on its back. 
Yeah. You don't fuck with something that can do that. Yeah. You just don't. I don't know why, and that's the whole point. We fear what we don't know. Right. Texas ate all the camels. It's documented, allegedly. Allegedly. And um, they didn't do too well. No. So why did they die off, John? Did they just hate it here and choose to stop breeding? Um. Well, I think, I think because they were, weren't an indigenous species, a couple things probably happened, and there isn't really any much mention of how they died off but some of them were sold off to ringling brothers and barnum you know to the circus and then mm-hmm. what was left you know pro- pro- were probably just killed by natural predators uh, wolves and coyotes uh, bears rednecks yeah rednecks texans you know hungry texans dude i'm telling you like it it sounds funny but i really think at least 50 percent of those camels got straight up barbecued <laughs> um, just imagine, right? Your your stereotypical eighteen hundreds Texan, nineteen hundreds Texan. Yeah, you know, they're sitting out on the porch, and they just see this animal kind of loping across the the prairie. <laughs> they stop rocking, look at it, grab their gun, shoot it, drag it back to the house, and barbecue it. Texas, this is in no way an insult to you. We're we saying you're Texas. smart. God loves Texas. We love Texas. That's right. Texas, you're an amazing state. All I see now is Texas people on Instagram saying, please stop coming here, California. We don't <laughs> want you. Yeah. And they keep moving there. It's nice. It's healing. Nature's healing. Yeah. One of the things that um, was a lot of invention is spurned by, is spurred by I mean, need or uh, expansion People see stuff, you know, they, they have a, a need, you know, they have a, a desire for something, so they invent something to fulfill that desire. And one of these things was uh, was the camera. Um, not that it was invented at the same time. The camera's been around for a while at this point, but it starts being used a lot more because uh, a lot of these cowboys and cowgirls and I mean, it was. I mean, it ran. It ran the gamut from you know the heroes of the West to the villains of the West. But a lot of what we know now, we can we can thank these uh, technological advances for. There has was some debate as to whether or not Billy the Kid was right or left-handed, but because we have a picture of him, which actually shows him as a lefty. But uh, the the tintype cameras, which were being used back then, uh, they they produced a negative image that appeared positive once it was developed. So what then you took the picture, what was produced is actually a mirror image, which proves that he was right-handed. And he was also a, a picture of him with uh, a Winchester model 1873 lever action. And suck on that nerds. Yeah. And the, the weapon appears to feature a loading gate on the left side, but Winchester only made 1873s that load on the right. Second Amendment. What? <laughs> there you go. Time travel explained. <laughs> Wait, so what does that conclude? That, that he was he was, was a negative image or No, that, that he was it... right handed. Right? Because oh, okay. the, the picture showed the Okay, the loading gate on yeah. the left side, because it was a it was a mirror. It was a mirror image, and we know that Winchester only made 
that model of firearm with right-sided loading. Finally, science. Science. Follow the science. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Mary told me something uh, interesting <laughs> earlier. Don't you dare laugh at me. I'm a serious person. Uh, Mary told me something... <laughs> 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 John liked that. Uh, Mary told me something earlier. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. I love it. This is what the show's about. Making you laugh so I don't have to. Anyways. <laughs> what? Yes. Listen. I said something earlier. What did I say? You said something about art earlier, and my little tiny brain can't comprehend that. So speak on speak on the art. Art. I did about the John Muir and the I literally didn't American hear that. progress part. Yeah. I'm going to keep all this in. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't really have much more to say about that. Yeah. Listen, I, I wanted to bring this up because I, th- I think we live in a world now where we are. And this brings me to my point. Uh, we are oversaturated with media. We, we get our opinions. They're borrowed opinions. Um, I think Mary has coined that term before as well. She, she talks about borrowed opinions. You, you, you get your opinions from Instagram, from Facebook, from your circle of friends, from the news that you fall asleep to at night, or your favorite TV show now. They're integrating these politics. When back in the day, you had a lot more time, even if you weren't right in the forest, right? I mean, I'm just talking about technology. When you weren't saturated in your own home with other people's formulated opinions from think tanks, that base their objectives on psychology that makes them money from people who have high degrees and high success in manipulating your mind without you knowing it. Because if you knew it, it would defeat the purpose, right? You wouldn't buy their products anymore. Just having time to think your own thoughts, to digest your own thoughts, going three hours in a day without hearing somebody else's opinion. Being bored. Being bored and figuring out how to fill that time with your own mind rather than some app made on a phone that was designed to keep you happy. Or scrubbing your pants on a washboard. There is value on that. There is value. (laughs) Modern times made a civilized world the goal, but modern times create soft people. You are not going to become... Most people don't go to the gym, right? Most people don't become stronger than they have to be to survive the world they are in. Most people are as strong as they need to be to live at the current status they are in. Most people don't surpass that by choice, right? So back in the, you know, in 1899, you had to do more to survive than you do now. People were stronger as a necessity. And uh, they would also drink more. Which is fun. (laughs) Drinking more is fun. (laughs) Even two-year-olds, they'd be feeding their two-year-olds Listen, whiskey. we don't judge here. We don't judge here. <laughs> whiskey is seen as medicine. It made people feel good. It makes me happy. <laughs> and then you wonder why they don't think good. I don't Maybe know. They don't, they don't need to think for themselves. They, they couldn't. They literally couldn't. <laughs> Because they were stunted at birth from drinking too much whiskey. You know what? They got us here, so they did something right. They create all of that created me. And aren't you guys happy? Like, look at me. I'm a specimen. <laughs> Their alcoholism at 10 years old and tobacco smoking, it, it resulted in me. So, I mean, I, case closed. I think I think it's a lovely idea that... 
people in the past had a lot more time to think for themselves or think of what they thought, but honestly, they probably just borrowed opinions from their either their community, their church, their parents, their grandparents. Mm. I I don't think that common folk back then, you know, were better off for not having social media technology shove things down their minds they probably had other outlets to do that and a lot more pain and a lot more whiskey and a lot more work to do well that's fine if you want to believe what you're being told that's fine but the thing is that they weren't constantly surrounded by that they still had time to think their own thoughts and i i I would argue that nowadays you have a documentation of everyone's thoughts you can look up somebody's instagram even after they're you know, this is a new age, but a hundred years from now, if they keep these accounts up long after we're gone, somebody, if they wanted to know what, uh, Dylan Randall thought, well, I got a podcast on the air. I got Instagram. They can look at my stupid face on Facebook. I mean, there's, (laughs) they can look that up. We can't look at everybody's individual accounts, barring a diary. So it's hard to know exactly what was going on in their brains. But what we do know is that they weren't oversaturated constantly on a daily basis by man-made inventions that they did have time to think for themselves so the evidence taking chloroform and (laughs) this sounds fun count me in (laughs) count me in put it in my face and and eating uh spoiled meat pies that would make them hallucinate (laughs) all of this sounds good you're making me want to go back to that time i want the spoiled meat pies hallucinating is good for your head allegedly I still have yet to discover a con. <laughs> I want to die of a bladder infection. They Do were, it. They were so bored that they would travel hundreds of miles to go see a man stuck in a cave. I forgot the, the name of this event, but there was this one time where this guy got stuck like far underneath into a cave. He was pinned between So they can hear rocks. him screaming like that Austin yeah. Power scene. <laughs> I'm still alive. And I am very badly hurt. It took them like no, two weeks trying to get him out, and people camped outside. There were like live shows going on. Vendors showed up. There was a whole hoopla and like media event of people just waiting for this guy to get unstuck from a cave under the earth. But he didn't. Yeah, it ended with his death. They weren't trying. You know those fools capitalizing on that. Like, listen, if we actually help this guy, we're gonna stop making money. So we're going to put on a show and say we're trying to help him, but the whole time we're just going to listen to him scream. Yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks they listen to this man scream. It sounds like that's what the entertainment of that day was. Right. <laughs> they weren't trying to help that man. They knew he was going to die, and they capitalized on his death for two weeks. Yeah. Maybe they threw him down a pitcher of water. They said, here, we need you to stay alive. You're making us money, but we're not going to help you. That's not happening. Don't push your luck. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Speaking of holes too, I think I think people have this <laughs> romantic idea of what you know life was like on the plains and the wild west plains, where the wind was gently swaying the wheat, and you know you stood on your front porch and you know watched the kids play, and it, that's that that's all fake news. Um, in, in the l- <laughs> well, maybe that was somebody's reality, but it could go wrong in a second. Well, I mean, people had homesteads. They farmed. They literally sat in their porch and watched their kids play. 
right? You defended yourself in those days. Yeah. I'm- and some people, that's their thing. Like, it depends who you are. For some people, um, like Tim Kennedy, for example, people who enjoy freedom, people who can fend for themselves, people who thrive off of being responsible for their lives, that is, those are the type of people that thrived in those days. They could protect themselves. They made connections. They had a, a militia. And there's a lot of people, the vast majority of people, who could not defend themselves. And those were the people that were not going. Uh, a lot of those people stayed back east. They just said, I, there's no way in hell I'm going out west for this, this gold explosion. You know, it's too dangerous. So it depended on who you were. Were you somebody who could thrive in that environment, knowing that I could die today? I could die tomorrow. Yeah. I'm putting my family at risk. Uh, some people enjoyed that. That was happiness for them. But I think we're at a point now where a lot of people, more people more than ever know that it wasn't that idyllic fantasy where everything is fine. It was but, that things in the city were literally so bad that they were willing to go to another place that was so bad. Well, <laughs> I mean... To, That's an interesting perspective. By bad, I mean... It, I mean, it was really bad. Like risky. You, you, after you, after you were taken in, you know, past the the government check of the Homestead Act, you had six months to get to your property. Um, then you had to improve mm-hmm. the property and build a farm, and then you didn't get the deed until after five years, which means that you had to build a home, which was part of the deal. Um, so what they would do, because, you know, out west there's not a whole lot of trees, so, you know, building a, a lumber structure was way out of the purview of many of these places. So they would scoop out a dugout, you know, into the side of a hill, um, and then they would block the front of that with a, a wall of, of sod. You know, they would cut out sod squares and build a wall, and then they'd cover the top of that, uh, with a few poles that held up uh, layers of prairie grass and dirt. And uh, you can imagine how well that worked out in some of the heavy rains that roll through uh, that, right. that area. Um, it, the, the beginning stages of life in the West and the American frontier was not idyllic. And it was very much filled with tragedy and death uh, per you know the Oregon Trail, which... Right. I don't think I ever successfully completed the Oregon Trail with all of my children. Neither did I. Like, without fail, you know, Mary would die of dysentery for absolutely hey. no reason within the first, <laughs> within the first like, five seconds. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a different environment back then. And yeah. I can tell you right now, our generation now, would do even worse than they did. Those people were harder people than they are now, without a doubt. But there was a lot of success. There was a lot of success because we did it. We didn't have to retreat. We we built a foundation of society here. And the people that made it, they did well. And they overcame some true struggles. And, you know, it's those hardships and true struggles that bring out some of, some of the biggest rewards in our life. I know some of the greatest times I've ever had in my life were they came from the hardest struggles I've been through. Where at the time, it was very hard to get through. It was I didn't see an end to it. But once I did get to the other end, I came out a better person, happier, and it, it was a very rewarding experience. So there was a lot of success stories there, but there was a lot of death. There was no antibiotics. You get cut by something, that could be the end for you. That could, that could be it. You're going to die. 
So it's just comparing. I, th- I think I think there are good things we can draw from that time. Taking time to just take a hike, go on a walk. What's going on in your own head? That's what meditation is all about, right? Not thinking, but observing what your own head is going through. There's information going through there all the time. So meditation, you can do that while you're walking. We do it naturally. Meditation is just acknowledging and observing in peace what is going through your head. And taking time to do that without an external input, it happened more in a time when technology wasn't so prevalent. And I think there's a value to that. How do we get back to that? I don't know if we do. I I really don't see that happening. But I think acknowledging it is a good step. And that's sort of what this episode is about. You know, acknowledging the vast majority of good that came from our technological advances, but also appreciating um, the things that kept us, for lack of better terms, you know, sane in a way, not oversaturated with a busy mind. And I think that's a huge takeaway from... What was going on in 1899, let's say. Yeah, that and the threat of feral camels spitting in your face every day. <laughs> yeah. You guys want some of them camel ribs? I got them <laughs> on the smoker. They've been smoking nine hours, boy. <laughs> I got my camel back, camel back, camel back, camel back ribs. I want to put this in before we end this episode. I don't know if we're about to end, but I just wanted to we say. We got four more hours. <laughs> <laughs> So we were talking about like the LARPing going on in our little town of Joshua Tree right now, uh, live action role play cowboys, and it kind of made me remember Westworld. I don't know if any of you guys have watched HBO's Westworld, but it's a pretty much virtual reality of the Wild West, and I kind of got a gist of that out here when I first moved out here. I was like, it's like real life uh, Westworld out here <laughs> without without everybody murdering each other. I they mean, shit in our yards. <laughs> there might be a little bit of that, but it's not as much as in the HBO show. <laughs> they they pull over on the side of the road, they climb our fence, and they shit. They shit in our yards. <laughs> and then I wanted to tie that in with how we were talking about the romanticization of the wild west in the 50s and how we were just all like appreciating a sanitized version of it with strong american 50s values and now i feel we're coming back to that a little bit after this year of quarantine because of covid-19 i think everybody got sick of being quarantined in their apartments and cities And now, instead of talking shit about country music and rednecks and all that, they suddenly want to become country. They're moving to Austin, Texas. Big time. They're moving out to the desert. Like, uh, I was thinking about the other day at work how all of a sudden I really like country music. Like, this last year, I've embraced country music more than I ever have. Whereas five years ago, you wouldn't catch me dead listening to country music. Well, that's because you're dating a country boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, like, cool to hate country music. Like, everybody, I remember, like, a lot of people saying, like, oh, I love music, ex- I love all kinds of music except for country music. Yeah. Like, everybody would shit on country music. And now... I see these cool hipsters listening to country music and it's and wearing their cowboy boots and cowboy hats and and pretending to, you know, learning how to ride a horse and buying land out in the desert. And Essentially learning how to wipe your own ass. <laughs> and I have to admit I'm I'm one of them. 
I'm one of those co- converts, converts, whatever you call them. I'm the converted. <laughs> Mary used to laugh at me because when we first started dating, I'd be sitting out on the porch listening to my 1950s country music with my cigar and my cup of whiskey. Yeah. And then after a few months of that, she's like, this sounds kind of nice. I would see <laughs> old pictures of him when he was like 18 or 19 wearing a big old cowboy hat with a big old belt buckle. like. <laughs> she laughed at me. I laughed at me too. But you know what? I'm just a country boy. Now now I want cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And it's just so funny how how fast, you know, people's opinions of things can change on a grand scale, like society-wise. My wife has a plethora of cowboy boots. That's amazing. Nice. Megan, this goes out to you. You're awesome. I did not know that about you. That's terrific. Meg's a country She's girl. She's trendy. That's awesome. She she was she had that cool trend going on before it got cool mainstream. You know what I love about Mary is that she used to make fun of it and then she realized, wait, I think I'm a country girl at heart. <laughs> she, now she's she's making playlists on my phone of like 1950s, 60s, 70s country girls and I love it. She's introducing me to old artists and it's just the best thing ever. And she is, I can attest. Mary is a country girl at heart. We we hang our clothes to dry out in the line. Right? I mean, she everything she does is just straight-up homesteader status. <laughs> and where we live, it's filled. I'm glad you brought that up, John. Homesteading. Our area is full of homesteading homes. Yeah, there was another... There was another... No, it wasn't from that era. It's a newer Homestead Act from 1976. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, where pretty much the same rules. You not have to build a farm, but you definitely had to build a house out here. So there are probably, yeah, there's there's hundreds of acres out here of just um, little, like, 8 by 10 sized homes, like right in the middle of a plot of desert land with boarded up windows and doors. Because back in the 70s, people were pretty much paid to come out take five acres of land as long as you build a little house on it with a door and two windows you are able to have it for like dirt cheap Mm. so they've become abandoned since then because it it, back then in the 70s there was no infrastructure here really it was just very small town and to be living to be living miles and miles away from water you know, they didn't have any a water line out to them. They didn't have electricity, so they ended up abandoning most of them. But a lot of people still own them, and there now are those who stuck it out. People are buying them up now because it's trendy to live in the desert. People don't want to live in cities anymore. They want to fix up these homestead homes and rent them out as Airbnbs. You finally have these rich folk moving in, and now they're finally starting. That just shows they're finally starting to pay attention to crime. I'm going to tell you guys something. This is all fictional and alleged, but we follow a Facebook page uh, for our community, a lot of old timers, and let me just give you a story that happened a couple weeks ago. This happens all the time. It's You're on your own out here. Our neighbor's home, alarm went off, and it took the cops, six sheriff's deputies, six hours to get there. Everyone out here is on their own. A lot of shit goes down out here. The, the other night, we read on our Facebook, allegedly, uh, There was a couple of trucks hanging outside of a house. And so the guy comes out and he's like, what the hell are you guys doing? Get out, get off my property. And they shoot at him. And what's he do? 
because he already knows he fires back at them with his 357. Yeah. That's just the way of the world out here. <laughs> People like that. They don't know the ugly side of living out here. I mean, you're in the high desert. It takes the cops forever to come if they come at all. And there is a huge element of crime. So I can tell you for myself, I've had a lot of run-ins. A good amount with people who, very bad people. I mean, really. And you're on your own. Nobody's going to come rescue you. Cops come, sheriffs come after the crime's been committed. And out here, you've probably been dead six hours if something happens to you. You have to fend for yourself. I've had run-ins, very sketchy run-ins. So I can speak on it a little bit, a little bit. That I like being in an environment where I fend for myself. If I die because of that, so be it. I will die a happy man. I value freedom over safety. And that, I think that's why I wanted to talk on this. I value freedom over safety. Now, of course, I don't want to live in a, in a third world country where civil, where civil war breaks out and I have to become part of a militia. But I think there is a middle ground to be had. I don't want so much sh- strangulation of my freedoms that, yes, I'm safe, but I'm unhappy. I like exactly where I'm at. I like fending for myself. It's nice to be able to call the sheriffs, but I rely on myself to be safe. Mary and I watch each other's backs. That's who we have out here. When I moved out here, I always lived in you know small towns, even big towns. I didn't know my neighbors very well. Sometimes I did, but never have I had such a good connection with my neighbors as when I moved out here. We trust each other, right? Like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a few days. Can you feed my cat? I've never had that with anybody else. We are tight-knit out here. And we're safer because of that. And there's a sense of community that I've never had before because of that. Yeah, it was reassuring to feel that relationship with our neighbors, especially right when COVID hit and people were panicking and all the shelves of supermarkets were going out of stock. And it felt nice to talk to our neighbors and kind of feel like we're in this together. Whereas I imagine if I'm, you know, and... I've lived in apartment complexes in LA. I've never even looked in the eye with any of my neighbors there. You just walk by, look down at the ground, pretend like they don't exist. You stay in your lane, you stay in your circle, and you think what you're told to think by your friends and your media, or you're outed. You're outed. We're out here. I've never had friendlier conversations uh, than I have out here. People are, they're, it's slower paced. It's almost like days gone by out here. It's a slower paced, older community out here and I can have genuine conversations with that with them and I don't have that feeling of apprehension like oh I don't want to say the wrong thing maybe it'll offend them or oh I have to say I have to dot the line and and say this supposed thing to keep them happy I I have that genuine feeling that I could say something they don't agree with and it's fine we can have a conversation about it we're not scared to do that and it's freeing it's like fuck I can take a deep breath finally I can fucking talk again you know, been genuine, formed good connections, and all of my neighbors, for a fact, help people. Like, they help people. They help animals. They're good people. I've never seen them do anything sketchy. You know, it's human connection. And uh, when you live in a smaller community, people are more, you know, they're resourceful. They're, they're also more of a commodity. Like, your community is way more useful to you when there's less of you. You value each individual member of your community way more when there's less of you. Whereas when you live in a high populated area, people are a nuisance to you. They're in your way. They're taking your resources. They're taking food off the shelves that you could have had. You know, like even if you don't, 
you're not aware of that thinking. It's definitely like a primal evolutionary thing that triggers in everybody's mind when there's too many people around. It just stresses you out and you just feel like you need to hoard everything to yourself and keep to yourself. Yeah. There's a sense of helping each other out uh, in this area that I've never experienced before. And it's made me a better person. It's made me take a deep breath, slow down, appreciate um, life. Yeah, it happens very seldomly in the Northeast here. Mm. Like people envision the Northeast being cold. And it is, both environmentally and uh, humanly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Even in small towns? Um. Yes and no. I mean, it depends on the town. Um, you you get out what you put in. So, you know, in small towns where, you know, you have a volunteer fire department, um, you know, a, a resident state trooper because there's no, uh, there's no, you know, local police. Um, you tend to see much more um, cohesion among neighbors there than you do in cities where most of these uh Aids are provided at a, you know, at a fee, you know, paid for by taxes, which I think is, you know, that's interesting. I don't, it might be correlation without causation saying that, you know, anytime there's, you know, paid services, it diminishes a human desire to help each other out. But I, I think in some capacity, that's true. I like the way you put that. This has been a, this has been a fun episode. I think it, we touched on. It surpassed my expectations of what I wanted to do, but I'm I was hoping it would get here at the same time. Is there John? Mary? I just want you guys to remember that at some point there were camels in Texas. <laughs> and they got barbecued. Yeah. Now there's tigers. In Texas. They should use camels to advertise cigarettes. Why haven't why hasn't anybody ever thought of that? Unbelievable. Crazy. Like, how can you think of camels and not think of cigarettes? Why hasn't somebody done that? I don't know. Man, I think we should patent that right now. <laughs> yeah, that cigarettes, <laughs> cigarettes are the game to get into right now, right? Copyright it. <laughs> it's a booming business. They cost more than ever before. The profits are better, right? It's a joke. This is a legend. <laughs> it's not real. Have you guys seen that movie, Thank You for Smoking? Was it, was it uh, Aaron Eckhart? John? Nope. Mary, uh, no? no, I'm sorry. I don't know that one. Oh, wow. That was a terrific movie. Basically, the movie just... Thank you. <laughs> this, the, the movie just shows um, this... this um, I believe he was like an advertiser, like a, a lawyer. And his job was to defend cigarette companies, public representation. How do you do that? It goes into the morality and the ethics of how do you defend cigarette companies. And uh, spoiler alert... He does a really good job. It's an amazing movie. I believe it's... He's the guy who played Two-Face in uh, uh, Batman 2 um, with the Joker. And sorry, I can't remember the proper name of it. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. And at the end of the movie, uh, he does so well that he gets a call from cell phone companies. Hey, they're finding out that cell phones are causing brain cancer, tumor growth. We need you to, we need you to defend us and make this... Uh, make this work out and he's like no problem you know i believe that's how it went down and it was just it's an interesting movie on the ethics and how you could really twist anything to sound good 
um, ever, ever so proving the importance of thinking for yourself, taking that walk, because you can literally make anything sound good. And this movie is a huge, a huge example of that. And I know we kind of touched on that in this show. Anyways, uh, we appreciate you guys joining us tonight. This has been a fun episode. Uh, new episodes every Saturday. You can follow us on Instagram, preferably, at uh, Everyone is Canceled, 1L, spelled the right way. And also Facebook, Everyone is Canceled. We appreciate you guys listening. It means a lot to us. Uh, I appreciate all the, uh, the messages I get now. I'm starting, to get messages, I'm starting to get messages from you guys on Instagram, and it means a lot. I hope you guys know that. And just having you guys ride along with us on this crazy journey of Everyone is Canceled has been a lot of fun. Uh, especially the show ideas. We, we really like to run with that. You guys have had some crafty ideas of what we should be talking about. You guys are sicker than me. You're sicker than me, and I love it. <laughs> this is Allegedly Everyone is Canceled. You are allegedly the listener, and we will allegedly see you next Saturday. Happy Cam. Have a good night. Yeah. Now go on and get. And I'm just an old prospector.